Hey, that's nice. Here we go. Hey, girl. You just tuned into the Britney Smith podcast. You're tuned in because either you're an entrepreneur, a mama, or both. And sometimes you just need a minute to, well, just be. And on this show, you'll get a lovely mixture of business and branding genius, faith and motivation. And if you're a mama, you understand conversations. Because let's be honest, we are fabulously multifaceted and amazing. So thanks for popping by. I'm really glad you're here. Girl, let's get into it here on the Britney Smith Podcast. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome back to the Britney Smith Podcast. I am your host, Britney and Smith, brand strategist, brand designer, and your homegirl. And we are here to talk more brand talk for you female entrepreneurs out there, you coaches, consultants, and content creators, those of you who are looking to build wealth, doing what you love and what you're amazing at. Um, And it's my job with this show to bring people to you who are experts in their field um, and are also going to be able to help you understand the scope of your business, right? And so um, while I tend to handle branding, I don't do all the other things, right? And so today, our special guest, um, she is a financial expert. She's going to help us get our money together, our money mindset together. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, man, she's had a couple of other financial experts on here before. Why another one? Well, first of all, this is not just another one. That's the first thing. The second thing is we are hardheaded. Can we be honest? We are hardheaded. And this is a conversation. If you want to be successful in business, this is a conversation that we need to be having every single month, maybe even every single week, because if you don't tell your money where to go, it will make up its own plans and you'll look up and it'll be gone. Can I get an amen? (laughs) So uh, we have, yes, we have Miss Caitlin Carlson of Theory Planning Partners, and she is going to help us get ourselves together because she works with seven and eight figure business, um, business women and businesses, and she helps them keep their money together so that they can keep their money one and two, make their money work for them. Right. That's, I think that's the missing piece. Like we can make the money, we can spend the money, but making our money work for us so that we can be sustained by the money. That's the part where we fall short. Um, so Caitlin, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. That was such an awesome introduction, Brittany. I'm like fired up. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. No, listen, I am super honored that you would lend your time and your talents to our show and to this space. Um, And I am positive that you are amazing at what you do just by reading all the facts. Um, And so I'm excited for our conversation today. So Caitlin, tell us in your words, who you are, what you do and why you are the bomb.com in your industry. (laughs) Sure. Okay. So um, my name is Caitlin Carlson. I'm originally from the Boston area. I grew up here. I was an ice hockey player. So I guess from a very young age, I've always had a fundamental belief that women can do anything men can do. Um, And hockey took me on a really cool journey. I ended up going to boarding school and then I played in college. And then I, um, I was actually a psychology major in college. I was really fascinated by, I initially thought I was going to go into econ, but when I took my first psych class, I just fell in love with understanding human beings and why we make the decisions that we do 
and how we interact with each other and our relationships, um, not only with each other, but with things like money. So after I graduated from college, I went into asset management, which um, is a slice of the financial services industry where basically we manage a lot of money for institutions uh, and high net worth individuals. And that was with Putnam Investments, so which is a mutual fund company. And the thing about Putnam is it was specifically advisor sold. So to get access to our solutions, you had to go through a financial advisor. And so it was at Putnam that I learned what financial advisors did. And that's when I really fell in love with that career path, because I thought, how what a cool combination between my passion for psychology and my passion for finance, being able to work with people and their money to help it grow. So I um, met my husband at my first job <laughs> and yeah, and we, we moved down to the deep South for four and a half years, which is a really interesting experience. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a great professional experience. I ended up joining UBS um, wealth management. And I was very deliberate about that because I knew that they would have great education and training for me and they would pay for me to get my CFP, which was my certified financial planning designation. Yes. Yeah. And my first two years there were definitely a whirlwind. I was a wealth planning analyst and I was the only wealth planning analyst covering four states. So I essentially worked with financial advisors and their clients to do financial planning. And this was back in 2015. And it's kind of crazy to say, even in 2015, the concept of financial planning was still pretty new to the uh, wealth management industry. It had, when you think of like the Wolf of Wall Street, I mean, that was the reality of the 80s and 90s. And so a lot of these advisors who were older never really took a holistic approach to advising their clients. It was more, you know, we'll just manage your money for you and you do everything else. Right. Um, and so that was really interesting. I worked with over 300 clients and I worked with over 80 advisors. Wow. So I got a really, um, a really wide range of experience. I worked with people who spent their whole life on an oil rig and had Exxon stock all the way to multi, multi-million dollar business owners, um, and everything in between. And I just really fell in love with business owners, particularly first generation business owners. They just found them so dynamic and just, we're, we're special people. We are. Yes. <laughs> it's, a, it's a special breed for sure. Um, but one thing that I saw while I was working with business owners was they would come to me and typically in their sixties and it would be like triggered by a health event or by fatigue. Um, and they would say, I want to retire. And what happened over and over again was they wouldn't have enough money built up outside the business to be able to retire. And we would get evaluation done on the company. And I would have to tell them that what you would net from the sale of your company is not enough to support your lifestyle for the rest of your life. So it was really sad and certainly eye-opening for them to hear this news in their 60s. And I felt like there was something that I could do to prevent that from happening. The problem was there wasn't an incentive for anyone in our industry to have that conversation earlier because of the way that financial advisors are typically compensated, which is an assets under management model. 
And so the assets under management model for those who aren't familiar is essentially you give me money to manage, I invest it and I take a percentage of it. So it's a long game. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as we know, like business owners are just the ultimate culprits of reinvesting in the business, reinvesting in the business. And so they don't have a lot of liquidity outside the business. So there's kind of a mismatch where it's like advisors aren't motivated or incentivized to help business owners achieve financial independence until they have some sort of liquidity event, like selling their business. So I started to see this as a planner and then I became an advisor myself and I was still with UBS and I became a private wealth advisor. So I ended up working with like the 1% of the 1% and really saw how those people function and the decisions that they make. But, you know, it was just, it's still an extremely male dominated industry. Um, I went through a lot of sexual harassment when I was in the deep South. And I also felt like I wanted to be a mom someday. And it wasn't a particularly welcoming environment for me to thrive as a private wealth advisor and be a mom. Um, Most of my colleagues were men and yeah, it was just a tough environment. So I would say through my late twenties, I kind of fumbled around with like, what's my calling? What do I do with this information? How do I help people? And so what that ultimately led to was me, um, we moved back to Boston end of 2018. And I, um, (laughs) shortly after I ended up founding theory planning partners And my mission with theory is first and foremost to get wealth into the hands of women. Because wait, hold on, hold on, ladies who are listening right now, I need you to give some snaps, give some claps, okay? Because it's people like Caitlin who who started their businesses with you in mind, right? And so, I mean, just even like getting wealth into the hands of women, like that made me feel something. Like, oh, yep, let girl, girl, let's do this. You know, like it made me feel something. So, um, I just wanted to pause and say that is amazing, um, and I'm grateful that you acknowledge that. And then you ran with it because like, I I don't know if that is like on your website. I didn't get a chance to look at your website, but like that needs to be like everywhere because that resonates, right? Like as a woman who, like you said, first generation entrepreneur, um, you know, we start, we start our businesses because wealth is a piece of it. Like I want to leave a legacy. I want to have a couple of vacation homes. I want to travel and shop the way I want to, like, you know, (laughs) their, their finances are a thing for us. And so um, that line right there really resonates with me. Um, and that's an amazing mission to have. So I just wanted to like interject. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. I'm so, it, it really does deserve, um, it does deserve that pause because one thing that I forgot to mention is in working with those 300 clients, not one of them was a self-made woman. Wow. They were all men and the, there were maybe a few women that I worked with, but it was a husband, wife. Right. And so I was like, something is wrong here because I can't see myself in the clientele. Yeah. And that really bothered me. Yeah. So I wanted to do something about it. And the other thing is it's been statistically proven that when women have wealth, they enhance the communities around them. Okay. <laughs> yes. Like women give back and they nourish and, yeah. and they enhance. And, I, and, I, and that's because of our natural nurturing nature, 
Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like we are always thinking of the person next to us before we think of ourselves. Yes. You know, our goal, like if you give me a million dollars, I'm not just going to go shop it all away or not just dump it all into investments. I'm like, okay, that school needs a new playground. Boop. Okay. Oh, my neighbor, she's struggling and, you know, she just lost her husband. I'm going to help her, you know, I don't know, pay her house off. Like we're always looking out on how to serve and how to nurture and how to build up other people. So I totally agree. We are awesome and we make things better. (laughs) Yeah. And one of the first things like that's really cool to see when women start making life-changing money is they want to invest in other women. That's something pretty universal across the board. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, my job is pretty much just to guide that decision-making, but that is, um, it wasn't an abbreviate version, but that's pretty much my story. And <laughs> I'm a, I am a mom now I have an 18 month old and I'm six Yay! months, six months pregnant with our second and congratulations. Thank yeah. you. That's yeah. Awesome. It was when I look back thus far in my career, like my twenties were really challenging. I mean, the sexual harassment stuff was just an ultimate low, but when I look back at it, like the ability to nurse my son or, you know, the flexibility to be home and like that, that's the other thing is I I not only wanted to work with business owners, but I wanted to be aligned with them. And I wanted to experience what it was like to be a business owner. And I'm so grateful that things worked out the way they did, because now I look at it and I'm like, you know what? Flexibility and unlimited potential are just such high values for an entrepreneur. You you said a thing right there. And so I have a five-year-old and a one-year-old. And yeah, it's fun times, fun times. (laughs) And, um, and I left my job, my full-time job in November of 2020, Um, and literally it was my last day of work. Thanksgiving was the next day. And then the day after Thanksgiving, I found out I was pregnant. (gasps) Oh my gosh. I just quit my nine to five (laughs) and I found out I was pregnant again. And I was like, Lord, was this your will? Did I make (laughs) up, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Like one, I'm grateful to have a husband who is holding it down and I was able to make that transition. Um, but to your point, that flexibility to be able to be home. And one thing he, he's always says to me, cause you know, like those of us who are like a type and we're driven and we're trying to make things happen. You always feel like you, there's more for you to do. Like, oh, I could be doing more. I want to, I want to have dinner done every day. And then I also want to make six figures, seven figures in my business. And I want to do like, we're trying to do all these things. But he said, listen, if, if I'm at work and I know that the kids are good, like they're, you know, they're where they need to be. They're fed, they're clean. You're there. So if something happens, you can be there on the spot at any moment. He's like, that's security for me. Mm-hmm. That That's what makes me able to go out and work hard, even though I don't really care for my job and just go hard for you guys, because I know that you're holding it down at home and I get to make my own money on the side. You know what I'm saying? Like I get to do my thing in my business. And so there's definitely something to be said about the special place that we as mompreneurs, if you will, um, you know, the space that we hold, right. Because we are six, seven, eight figure earners, but we still got to raise these kids, you know, Oh my gosh, taking care of the family. We still have to be wife to our husbands. We still have to have relationship outside of, you know, I have our girlfriends and like, we're also in ministry. And so, you know, we still are serving, like there's a lot. 
And so, you know, again, I feel like this is definitely a nod to the super, super women that we are, um, being able to wear so many hats and yet still just be like without being crazy, you know? Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And I find that it's really healthy for me as a mom, because my business is an expression of myself. And so it's like, I have identity in my business, which actually is funny because that's another thing that, um, I dealt with a lot with business owners, um, is your identity does get wrapped up in your business. And so like, especially when you go to sell it, you just want to be cognizant of, um, like people weren't in my experience with UBS, people weren't that great about developing hobbies outside of business that made them happy. So they would be like, so attached to their business and so not willing to sell it at a point in time where it made a lot of sense to sell. So that's something to just be cognizant of as, as you're building your business is make sure that you do have other things outside of your business that make you happy and give you purpose. Because, um, no, I will say again, this, I felt like this was a little bit of a male, male thing, but they just like, weren't willing to let go of that ego. This is typically when they were in their sixties and seventies. So that, uh, definitely is a strictly entrepreneur problem, but, um, I really enjoy the ability to express myself through my business and my service and yeah, yeah, it's just an awesome opportunity. So really cool. Really, really cool. So you talk about helping people, I guess, position their businesses to be sold. And, And this is funny because a friend of mine, we were out at dinner like last week and she's like, have you ever considered, um, having your business valuated to see like, you know, what, what it would be worth if you were to try to sell it. And like in my head, so I'm, I'm in this, I'm in this, um, I don't even know what, what to call it space where I'm just, my, my thinking is just like elevated, you know? And so Mm -hmm. going out to dinner at places where before it was like, Oh, you can only go there for anniversary because they're really expensive. And it's like, (laughs) I, something shifted when I turned 34 and it was just like, you know what, I'm going to go there and have dinner just because I'm hungry. I don't, yeah. like, I don't you know like just my, I'm I'm drawn to a higher level of just living um and thinking and so when she asked me that it paused me because I never even thought about that you know what I'm saying I never even thought about positioning my business to be sold mm-hmm. um you know and so you saying that makes it makes me know that it's a thing Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and do people strategically start businesses just to sell them? Or is this something that we only do like, you know, when we're planning retirement or whatever? No, that's a great question. So one thing that I think entrepreneurs are particularly guilty of is having a lack of intention when it comes to this. So there are two types of businesses that you can run. You can run a lifestyle business or an enterprise business. Mm -hmm. And it's really important that when you're in the first few years, you're like getting up and running and kind of trying to figure things out, figure out where you fit into the market and how to pay yourself regularly and all those kind of basic things. But once you start to reach a bit more maturity as a business owner, then it becomes, and you have like recurring revenue and you know, you're, you're making it so to speak. That's a really important inflection point where you want to decide, am I building a lifestyle business or am I building an enterprise business? If you're building an enterprise business, you're going to build it to sell it. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to make different decisions than you would if you ran a lifestyle business. 
because you're, if you're building an enterprise business, you want that business to be best in class and you essentially want to be able to hand it off to somebody someday. Mm -hmm. So things that you would want to think about are having organized financials and organized legal documents, reducing owner dependency, having key employees, having your contracts organized and figured out to where they're attractive to a buyer. So like, those are all things that are really important. And everyone tends to focus on revenue. They're like, oh, I run a, you know, a $4 million company. Well, that's fine. But if you don't have like these foundational aspects, your company really could be worth not that much. And so just to give you an example. So when you do go to sell a company, let's say um, the universal measure of kind of like that revenue piece is called EBITDA. So let's say that your company has $4 million EBITDA, or there's two companies that have $4 million EBITDA. A company that doesn't have this stuff together, has a ton of owner dependency, has a ton of employee turnover, has a ton of client turnover. They might only get a multiple of, let's say, like four. So the $4 million EBITDA times four, so that company is going to be valued at $16 million. Now you take the second company, company B, has organized financials, key employees that have been there for a long time, no owner dependency, clients that love them and have a great reputation. That company could get a multiple of 10. Mm. So even though both of these of 4 million, one's valued at 16 million, the other one's valued at 40 million. Wow. So, so what I hear you saying, because like I said before, we have a range of listeners, right? But when we boil it down, your company is worth more, the more structured and the more consistent it is. Yes. At at the very basic level, right? Like, because like you said, if I'm looking at this one, and it doesn't have everything together and it's making this much versus this one who has everything together, it's automatically more valuable because it's structured. Yes. And you, you without, know? without necessarily having to have more sales. Yeah. Yeah. So preparation automatically makes you more, more appeasing to the people who are looking to either purchase or work with you. Yes. Um, and the difference that that makes is when you get when you're planning for an exit, because so I, I approach the financial aspect for business owners from the personal side. So like when I look at their, I look at their entire life. So like when I look at your balance sheet, your business is an asset on your balance sheet. So the difference between a $16 million business and a $40 million business is massive. I mean, that's, that's like night and day. And so, um, you know, making sure that you're building out a team that can support you. And I would say this is a very high level conversation. So like we can take a few steps back, you know, you're not, it's not like day, day two of your business, you're running a $40 million company. Yes. 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 <laughs> there, and there that's are- I was, I was gonna like, say, can we um, kind of circle back down to the earlier stages? Um, yes. But yeah. at the same time though, I appreciate the high level because even if there are people, myself included, who are not there yet, mm-hmm. I know that's where I'm going. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So even just to have this conversation here, it's very valuable because now it adds another, uh, another dot on my roadmap, if you will. You know what I'm saying? So maybe yeah. two years from now, three years from now, you know, I'm going to be at that place where, oh, <laughs> you know, we're making this much money. Let's, 
let's start to, you know, continue to refine that structure Mm -hmm. because in year seven, year eight, I'm hoping that we are at that $4 million, $5 million mark and we can position. Because I think I'm one of those creative people, right? Like I'm one of those multi-passionate, creative, crazy <laughs> people, right? And so I could see myself getting this business to a certain place and then selling it and moving on to mm-hmm. something else. Mm-hmm. Just because my attention span is like, okay, I don't want to really design any more flyers. So, um, <laughs> you know... <laughs> So yeah, it's, it's definitely a good, still a good conversation to have. Um, so let's go back to the basics. So I would say that there are three phases. So I would say phase one is like, you just started your business. You maybe just started paying yourself and you're trying to figure out like what your calling is, what your niche is, et cetera. At that point in time, you're probably doing your own bookkeeping or maybe paying a bookkeeper like hourly. And hopefully you have a decent accountant that one thing that's really important is that accountants, most accountants are backward looking and they just like crunch the numbers and they file your tax returns. But once you start making more significant money, it's really important to have more of a CPA that is a tax strategist that can be like forward looking, but we're still in phase one. So either you're doing your bookkeeping and you're doing your taxes or you're paying someone pretty much hourly to get it done. And you're probably making like less than a hundred thousand. I would define this category as probably your revenue is zero, even potentially up to like 500,000 depending Then there's phase two. So phase two is you're making recurring revenue. Let's just say you're like a half a million dollar business and above, but you're starting to figure out like what it is that you do and you might even be hiring employees. I would say this is a really important time. I would even go down to 250,000, honestly, for the, for the phase two, like 250,000 and above. But again, it's, it's a range, but anyway, so Phase two, you want to start to build out your financial team. So you want someone doing your bookkeeping for you. You want a CPA that acts as a tax strategist. And this is really important. You want a CFO. Like you can start with an outsourced CFO. And an outsourced CFO for a business owner that is at this juncture is worth it and reasonable and affordable. I've seen outsourced CFOs range anywhere from $1,500 a month to $5,000 a month. But these are the people that will help you start to make those strategic decisions about how much you should be paying yourself, what programs you're offering that are making money, if you can afford to hire that next person. Like an outsourced CFO is going to help you run a financially healthy company. And then that can go like anywhere. I've seen that phase two go from, you know, a half a million dollar company all the way up to like an eight to $10 million company. And when I say that, I mean, in terms of revenue. Yes. No. Can So can I ask a question here? Based on um, the women that you've worked with to this point, what, um, what are some of the most common industries and types of businesses that you see that are making this kind of money? So that's a really interesting question, particularly because I work exclusively with women. They're pretty, they're all online businesses for the most part. Um, Some of them are agencies. Some of them have courses. Some of them do like white labeling. Um, One of them has like a white labeling service for Amazon business owners. Another one helps with like Shopify. Another one does all the back end for um, launches. 
So it's kind of like all over the map when I think about it. Um, but I have another one that is a, she is a sock company and her socks have positive messages written on them. Oh my gosh. Um, Yeah. Or another one is a, a weight loss company. Um, she, uh, specializes in helping women who have had surgery and have gained the weight again. Like they, they have a coaching program. So it's a lot of, it's mostly service-based industries. Um, and then I will uh, have a client coming on later this year who um, she's a dietitian and she has dietitians that work for her. And then she also has a supplements company that goes along with it. So all different varieties, really. That's um, awesome. But yeah, and that I would say, in, so in phase two, this is where it's really important to decide whether you want to build a lifestyle business or an enterprise business. And that's where, because um, I will say, you know, it takes a ton of work to be able to build a multi, multi multi-million dollar company to sell it. So this is where it comes back to your personal goals. Like what is it that you want for yourself? And that's where I come in and design the high level plan. Because if you're telling me you're 34 and you want to retire by 50 and you want to live off of $250,000 a year, I'm going to show you how you can get there by saving yourself or selling your company or doing a mix of the two. Right. But one thing I want to make really clear is you can achieve the same goal two different ways. So if you run more of a lifestyle business, you're going to be responsible for securing your retirement because you're not going to have that business to sell. Right. If you're building a business to sell it, then that's going to secure the bulk of your retirement. And you may, you should do peripheral saving on the side of that. Sure. But the main driver of your financial independence at that point in time is going to be the value of the company. So in phase two, it, and it's also going to impact how you run your company, because if you're running a lifestyle business, profit margin is extremely important and like paying yourself and saving as much as you can from the company. Like you're, you're running a lifestyle business so that it can give back to you. Yeah. And that's the role that I play because business owners just get sucked into their companies. And if you allow it, if you allow it, they will be like cash sucking machines. Absolutely. (laughs) So would you say that it's at phase two when people would, would come into contact or start working with someone like you, or could we start having a conversation, even though we're only in phase one? Um, You know, like where, where do you come? I would say, so I would say that I come in, in phase two, after you're working with a C- an outsourced CFO, because essentially the outsourced CFO is the one that creates good problems for me to solve, such as, <laughs> so I have one client that just came on, her outsourced CFO brought her from $40,000 a month to $400,000 a month. Wow. So now she's got a real cash flow issue. Now she's got tax issues. Now we really need to start like doing a high level financial planning. We need to start putting her money to work. We need to start making like strategic decisions about how to turn this cash flow into personal wealth for her. Because she said, she's like, I've given everything to this company for the last five years. And she's like, I want this company to build wealth for me. So what I'm hearing her say is she wants to run more of a lifestyle business. She wants this company. She's built it up to this point and she wants this company to give back to her. So we're 
focused more on how much she can pull out of the company to start building her financial independence. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so that's, but I would say it's really important in phase one to have goals to work towards. So so one thing I say, if you're in phase one is just Google a a retirement calculator and get an idea for, you know, if you're say like, just put in, I'm 30 and I want to be in, in, by the way, retirement and financial independence, essentially. I know sometimes when people think of retirement, they think like, you know, 65, hang it up, but retirement and financial independence mean the same thing. It means you're not reliant on a job for income. So (laughs) yes, exactly. So like if I'm, if I put in the retirement calculator, I'm 30 and I want to retire by 50 and I want to spend a hundred thousand dollars a year, a retirement calculator is going to come back to you and say, okay, if that's your goal, then you need to start saving, um, you know, $7,000 a month. So even though I'm in phase one, I know, okay, I'm working towards saving $7,000 a month. Have that in your mind. You can do that regardless of what stage you're at. You need to have like something to work towards. That's the most important. I love that. I love that. And and that is something that's very practical. Yes. Anybody can do today. So I appreciate you for that. Um, And so I have one more question. Um, with the women that you work with, um, what are some of the qualities and some of the mindset things that are different about the group of seven and eight figure earners versus, you know, like that I am very clear in understanding that there is, there are some mindset shifts that are, that are going to be the difference between your five figures and your six figures and your seven figures. So do you, do you deal with some of those things as you meet with people um, and you recognize that there's still some mindset things that are like, okay, you need to fix that. Like, what are some of the, talk to us about mindset uh, and making money at that level. So mindset's huge. And I think that um, probably the internet makes it seem like success is this like overnight thing. And I would say as a reminder, all great things take time. So if I could give any advice, like you don't want to be that flash in the pan success. You want to build a business off of reputation, great service delivery, you know, clients that would scream from the rooftops about how awesome you are to work with. And so when you go onto Instagram and people are like, oh, I, you know, I made $7 million or whatever. It's like, that took a long time. So first of all, be patient with yourself, but second of all, believe that you can do it. I have had a couple clients say, um, give examples of where in, in nothing is perfect, by the way, it's not like once you reach seven figures, everything is bliss. Like things can still be falling apart behind the scenes. You can have contracts fall through. Like, so just get in the mindset. If if you're going to do this, it's a marathon and there are highs and lows at every stage and you will grow into the person that your business is asking you to be. So I would say, be patient with yourself and believe that you can do it. Any, anyone can do it. Anyone that puts their mind to it can do it. And it's really the people that I work with, they were just persistent and resilient and they didn't give up. And that's really the common thread there. None of them are perfect. None of them are great at everything. That's why they have a team surrounding them. And even still, sometimes the job of the team is to point out their strengths and weaknesses and put them in a position to focus on their strengths. So just remember that all great things take time. And I would say, if you put the client first, 
then chances are, chances are things are going to work out well for you. I would also say centers of influence, like uh, building relationships with people across your industry who, you know, once you have your client avatar, you can go to other people. Like for example, a, you know, a brand strategist um, connecting with a CFO could be a great potential center of influence because maybe they're redoing their branding now that they've hit seven figures, you know, like finding your people and your professional relationships, I think is also really important. Um, But I would say there's no particular secret sauce. It's just resilience. I love that. I love that. Thank you for that. Um, and this, this conversation has definitely been enlightening and encouraging, you know, cause you know, we can come into these like conversations about money and walk away like, oh man, I can't buy myself anything nice anymore. I got to save all my money. Like, <laughs> you know, we kind of walk away like sad little children, like, oh, but, um, but this has been great. Um, so tell us how we can follow you, how we can connect with you, how we can support you. Um, in your business today. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So it's funny that you didn't go to my website. You weren't missing much. It's a one pager, <laughs> but I do have a link on there. So, um, and, and it's directly to my Calendly. I'm, I'm very accessible. Um, and so my website is theoryplanning.com. So feel free to go there and book a call. If you feel like, um, what we offer is a potential solution for you. I'm also on LinkedIn at Caitlin Carlson. And I am on Instagram at Theory Planning Partners, although I, my Instagram is not the greatest, but you can DM me and I will respond. <laughs> Listen, as long as you're there, that's all that matters. Just, yeah. Just, you know, my thing is as a brand strategist and, you know, everybody has their own theory, right? Um, consistency is better than anything. Yes. You can have amazing graphics and captions and all of that. But if you post sporadically, you're not going to be successful in the social media game anyway. Um, so as long as you're consistent, okay, that's all that matters. <laughs> and you're adding value, that's all that matters. <laughs> well, the funny thing for me is that I've wrestled with social media and I'm mostly on there to like follow and support my clients. Yeah. Um, because I just, that's my whole thing is like, I don't want to start it and then stop it. But, you know, maybe we can talk offline about it. <laughs> no, and, and again, social media, like if I could live without it, I would. <laughs> it's, it's, it is one of those necessary evils because, you know, when you're networking with people and you're like, oh yeah, just, you know, go to my website or whatever, chances are they're going to go to your social media pages even before they go to your website. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you have to have something there that's going to, that they can find to to show that you're a real person in a real business, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but it it really is a gateway to everything that you have going on. So you want it to be presentable, um, but at the end of the day, consistency trumps creativity and cleverness and all of that. If you can be consistent, you'll be all right. (laughs) It's the same thing on the money front. Yes. Same thing. Consistency is key. Oh man. All right. That came back to bite me now. (laughs) Well, listen, Caitlin, thank you so much for talking with us and hanging out with us on the Brittany Smith podcast. Ladies, make sure you check out the show notes, go to her pages. Yes. You're going to go to the pages and you're going to follow and you're going to like, and you're going to check out her website, book a call with her. If you fit or you feel that she's a good fit for you. Um, again, the thing that was the biggest blessing to me in this conversation was your passion for women having wealth. You know what I'm saying? Like that for me was like, 
We are, you are all right with me, Caitlin Carlson. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Yes. I thank you for spending time with us today. Ladies, make sure you stay tuned for the next episode of the Brittany Smith podcast. Bye. Thanks for tuning in today. Be sure to leave a comment and then share this episode with another amazing lady who needs to hear today's show. Yes, girl. I'm serious. Just send her the link and say, girl, listen to this. Want to hang out with me every day? Head over to Facebook and join the Female Coaches, Consultants, and Content Creators group on Facebook. Or you can join my mailing list in the links below this episode. Girl, I enjoyed our conversation. Stay amazing and remember, you are loved, you are needed, and nobody, I repeat, nobody can do what you do the way you do it. See you next time on the Brittany Smith Podcast.